Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Um, Aaron Edwards was worried about this, but I've been gone, so I think we're going to go for about four hours this morning. Make up for it. Zechariah chapter 4. While we're on vacation, um, Jacob and Lydia and Laura, her parents, went to this thrift shop and Jacob found a bag of toys. And in this bag of toys, it was the bag was $3.99. And my mother-in-law stepped in, senior discount, senior discount, and got 25% more off of the uh, $3.99. And the reason that Jacob wanted this bag was because he had been digging in it a little bit, and he saw that there were some G1 Transformers in this bag. Now, if you don't, how many of you do not know what a G1 transformer is? Okay, you are the intelligent people in the room. <laughs> the less intelligent people in the room love these toys from the 1980s, right? 1980s. And um, they've actually become quite valuable. And so Jacob was pumped because in this bag full of junk, there was some things that for him and other nerds, there are things of value, all right? Um, to the world, when they read something like the verses that we're going to read today, they're going to say, what's this junk? But to those of us who love the Lord, we're going to see some things of amazing value in here today. Because God has such truth woven into His Word. It's going to be exciting to see this. So let's, Zechariah chapter 1, let's look at this. I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again. So if you haven't been here, there's been an angel that's been talking with Zechariah and revealing these visions to him about the rebuilding of the temple and about Jesus Christ coming to rule and reign in Jerusalem. So, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. How many of you are blessed already? All right, verse 3. And to olive trees by, and, and to olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we study this passage of Scripture this morning. And Father, help us to have an understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are, we, we believe as we try to understand the Bible, there's a principle. It's called the principle of measured words. What does that mean? According to John chapter 21, I think it is, 
The Bible says that if all the works that Jesus did were recorded, then I suppose all the books of the world couldn't record them. Right? And so what he's saying is that he chose, God chose a limited number of words, of accounts, of prophecies. He chose a limited amount of those and put them in our Bible. That means that there's nothing extra, nothing superfluous, nothing redundant, nothing that's not necessary. So now here we have this vision, and it's a vision of a candlestick with pipes and with bowls, and what in the world is all of this talking about? Let's go to verse 1, and I want you to see something. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me, as a man that is waked out of his sleep. Now, one of the key things in interpreting your Bible is looking for the words like and as. Like and as. So what do we see here? He wasn't asleep. He woke me up as if I was. That's what he says. So what happened? He opened some kind of spiritual understanding for Zechariah. That's, that's what's going on here. And so look at the next verse. And he said unto me, what seest thou? But one thing that I want to do with this waking up, let's see if that we can wake up a little bit today. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Of course, keep Zechariah 4. We'll be back eventually. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Wherefore he sayest, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. All right? Awake from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, And ye hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So what's going on? If you're here this morning, and you're not saved, you're not born again. If you died today, if you're not sure that you would go to heaven, do you know what Jesus Christ is saying to you? You need to awake. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You need to be born again. Jesus Christ will save you. Isn't that awesome? Anybody here saved today? You're glad that Jesus Christ woke you from the dead and saved you? That's awesome, isn't it? But what happens is not only will He save you, when you get saved, you wake up and He gives you light. He gives you light. Now, Aaron, do dead people see things do you see dead people? Yes, he does. He's a mortician. Uh, his brother next to him, same thing. Amy. I saw Amy. She went out with a baby. She's a mortician also. Um, they're, they're just a dead family. Um, dead people don't see things, do they? That's what's going on spiritually with this world. They're dead to the light of Christ. They're dead to understanding what's important in the world, what's important in life. What's, as a parent, what's more important than your kids? And yet we have a society that's established, been established in such a way that mom and dad have to work so that we can have all of the stuff and somebody else raises the kids. It's, it's a weird thing. Now, look, if you, you ladies that work, you guys know that I'm not against a mother working outside the home. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. 
But when it's been ordered and arranged in such a way that many times parents don't get to spend any time at all with their children, how many of you think that's a problem? That's a problem. Now, years ago, what people would do was, is they would actually send their kids off to a school, a boarding school, and they, they wouldn't even know their children. How many of you think that's God's plan? Not at all. Not at all. So what happens is this worldly wisdom can cause us to think in ways that are really twisted and turned around. What Christ wants to do is Christ wants us to wake up and get some light, to wake up to spiritual things. And I'll tell you what, man, it is so easy to be distracted by everything that's going on in the world. I'm a little distracted right now. You know why? Football season's coming. I've been trying to watch as many preseason football games as I possibly can. And my wife keeps saying, it doesn't matter. It's preseason. <laughs> but it's more important than life itself. I need, fo- I need football. <laughs> Anybody say amen to that right there? Now, <laughs> yes, I'm Jim, and I have a problem. Um, it's really easy to get distracted. What's wild is you can get distracted by God's work. You know, um, Doug and Debbie handed Awana over to Justin and Amanda as Doug's shift changed at work. Well, I can imagine right now that Justin and Amanda... Are you guys here or are you downstairs? Right there. You're a little consumed with Awana right now, aren't you? And what's interesting is you can become distracted by the Lord's work and forget about the Lord. When I was sitting down there, we were singing. I was getting ready to come up here. And I got home from vacation Thursday night, Friday come in, and just all the stuff that's going on yesterday, meeting, planning, man camp, and all these things going on. Uh, Adam Pierce, uh, the pastor friend we had supported as a missionary, he called yesterday while I was in man camp, and I said, hey, man, I'm in my man camp meeting, and he said, what are you doing in there? I I didn't appreciate that at all. Um, And so... Rushed around. It was late last night. I'm studying, trying to get ready. Up early again this morning, trying to get ready. I got in here getting ready to preach right before I came up here. You know what I, you know what I, was, I was praying? I, start, yeah, I always try to pray before I preach. How many of you think that's a good idea? You know what I thought? This is what I prayed to the Lord. Lord, I've not hardly prayed at all for this message. I was so busy preparing, for the, me- preparing the message that I forgot to pray to the Lord that the message is about Isn't it interesting how we can become distracted by good things? Isn't that interesting? So what does God want us to do? Wake up. Wake up. What what the angel of the Lord, what the angel here, the angel that talked with him, different than the angel of the Lord, but an angel from the Lord here that spoke to Zechariah, he had to wake him up before he could see what he wanted to see. And I know that many times we kind of walk around in a fog How many of you school teachers, your kids are in a fog right now as you're trying to get them back into the habit of school, right? Well, that's what it is for us as Christians. God needs to wake us up. And he's trying to give Zechariah something that's really important. Before we do that, go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of those chapters like Ephesians 4 
that there's so much truth in it about so many different subjects. But 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 34. This is an interesting verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Who's he speaking to? Paul's writing to Christians. He says, I speak this to your shame. You need to wake up to righteousness because you don't know that you're living in sin as a Christian. How is it that a Christian could be sinning and not know it? Because he's oblivious to what God says about his behavior. Awake to righteousness. So what are we supposed to do? We should be praying to the Lord. Lord, reveal my sin in me. Help me. Help me to walk in your ways. Search me and try my heart and, and show me if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path, in the way everlasting. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Awake to salvation in Ephesians 5 and awake to righteousness in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Wake up to it. Let's be concerned about what God thinks about what we're doing. How many of you think that would be a good idea? Amen. That we got to wake up to that. There's a spiritual understanding. Wake up. Wake up to it. Go back to uh, Zechariah chapter 4. And let's, let's get into this vision. And so what he's seeing here is he's seeing a candlestick. All right? So I want you to picture a menorah. You all know what a menorah is. Uh, now, a menorah has eight candles. Well, that's because after um, the deliverance of Esther and Mordecai, uh, there's a feast that came from that, and, and, the, and it changed. But when God established this, it was, there was a candlestick that would come up in the middle that would have three branches on each side. So it's a candlestick with seven lamps. All right? But this one's a little different. This one has a bowl on top, and out of the bowl are pipes. In the bowl would be oil, and the pipes would go down and supply the oil for the flame to each of the lamps that are on the candlestick. How many of you are picturing this in your mind? But there's not only the candlesticks, there are two olive trees. Two olive trees that supply the oil to the bowl that comes down through the pipes into the lamp. It's an interesting vision. What in the world is this talking about? Well, look at verse 2. It says, And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick. A candlestick, all of gold. So what, what this passage is talking about in First Corinthians or in uh, in Zechariah chapter four, verses one through six, one through seven that we're looking at, it's describing Israel as the light of the world. Israel is the light of the world. In chapter 3, we see the picture of their salvation. And in chapter 4, we see the picture of their testimony. So what's the idea? Spiritually for us, when you get saved, after you get saved, you're supposed to have a testimony. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? So that's what's going on. This is a candlestick. Look with me in Exodus chapter 25. And let's see how this candlestick is described. There was only one in the tabernacle. All right? Exodus chapter 25, look at verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, 
and his flowers shall be of the same. Now, notice it's saying his about this candlestick. Who's the light of the world? Jesus Christ. All this speaks about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Then look at what it says. Verse 32. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Now, let me just say something. How many of you think that God's being a little detailed here? Why? Because it all speaks of Jesus. There has to be care taken to describe what this is. One candlestick, seven lamps, one man, perfect light. It's Jesus. Then look at what it says. Um, verse 36, Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it, and the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof. Now, you people from Kentucky, it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> this is the little bowl that you'd put the, fire, the lamp out with if you are to do that. All right? Um, verse 39. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it, with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. What mount? Mount, mount Sinai. When he got up there and got the law, God told him, this is what you're supposed to get. And this, this is very important that this one candlestick will be the only light that's in the tabernacle. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. A candlestick. That's what this is speaking of. So now, we understand that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Go to John chapter 8. What does this have to do with Zechariah? That's what we're going to show you. John chapter 8. Look at verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Uh, that, remember, we looked at the verse a minute ago. Jesus said, Awake, and I'll give you light. Or That's what Paul, quoting Christ, said. Awake, and he'll give you light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. What does this have to do with Zechariah? Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We've all seen this verse before, and we've all heard this verse before, but I don't think that we have put it in the right context many times. 
Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. The Bible says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Can I ask you a question? Are you a city? You might be thinking, well, I've put on a little weight. Um, are you a city? No. The Bible says we have here no continuing city. But Christians, we're not a city. What's the city on a hill? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. What Jesus Christ is saying to Israel is you're the light of the world. You, you are the ones who are supposed to be reflecting the light of Christ. You are to be bringing to the pagan world the one true God. That's what you, Israel, you're the shining city on a hill that George Bush talked about. All of that goes back to Augustine, the city of God, a misunderstanding, thinking that's the church. That's wrong. It's Israel. That city on a hill that God says all through Zechariah chapter 3 that Jesus is going to come back to that city and He's going to rule and reign. They're going to be righteous. He's going to save them in a day. That's what it says, I think, in verse 12 of chapter 3. Right? And then He says, you're supposed to now light the world. That's what you're supposed to be. Israel is supposed to reflect the candlestick that is Jesus Christ. But what happened? They rejected Him. They rejected Him. And so what did Jesus do? What happened then? Well, you end up with Revelation chapter 1. Look at it. I'll show you something. Remember the one candlestick? Israel rejected Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the, what? Seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. What did Jesus Christ do? Jesus said, I'm going to receive glory. My Father is going to receive glory. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21. Unto Him, that's God the Father, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Because Israel rejected Christ. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, but to, his, but to as many as received Him, to then gave He power to be called the sons of God. The, the Israel rejected Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ said, okay, I will build my church. I will build my church. Is He done with Israel? No. What's going to happen? The churches are going to be taken out. Remember in chapter Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, After this, and I, behe I beheld. After this. After what? The last verse of chapter 3 says, uh, um, He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. After the churches, churches are taken out. They're in heaven. God starts working with Israel on the earth again. And you know what's going to happen? Israel is going to become the light of the world again. And then we will come back as Christians and rule and reign with Christ. And we'll, as churches, as believers, we'll be giving Christ glory. Remember, there's only one Christ. There are seven churches. We're all in Christ. What is that? What, what is that talking about? Christ is glorified in every church that is a true Christian church, wherever they're worshiping, anywhere in the world. We're all bringing glory to Christ. 
with Him only as our head. As it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Isn't that awesome? And so God's going to receive His glory. You can be on the giving glory or you can be judged as God receives His glory in judging evil. How many of you would rather be bringing Him glory? Isn't that awesome? So God said, Israel, I'm going to set you aside for a while. I'm going to use the churches. What is Zechariah 4 about? That God is ultimately going to bring glory to the world, or glory to Himself, all over the world from Israel. Okay, now, let's go back to Zechariah 4. Look at verse 4. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? Now, how many of you would agree with Zechariah and say, No, my Lord? How many of you would agree with that? Do you know what this is? This is wisdom. Let me read to you what James Knox wrote. He said this, Conviction and acknowledgement of ignorance is the doorstep to the temple of wisdom. Why pretend to know what you don't? Why seek to impress others with feigned intelligence? Such fraud is sooner or later and usually sooner exposed. If you do not know the meaning of a biblical passage or the key to a certain text, then say so. This is but to own that the author of the Bible knows more than you do. Amen? Do you know what God loves? God loves when you come to Him and say, Father, I don't understand this. Will you teach me? And the Holy Spirit of God will teach you the Word of God. How does He do that? He wakes you up. He opens your eyes to truth that you couldn't have had. That is so awesome. This morning in our Sunday school class, I was talking about philosophy, Greek philosophy. And how many of you are really sorry you missed that? Okay. But we were looking at what the Bible says about it. And what was so fun for me was there were some questions. And as we went to the scriptures that dealt with those questions, they specifically dealt with that topic of philosophy. Listen, using the exact same words that the philosophers would have used. You know what happened to me? My eyes were opened to some of that, and that was exciting to me. It was fun to see that God wrote this 2,000 years ago, answering the questions that we have today, the ultimate questions. God's Word is so fantastic. He'll open our eyes, and He'll give us understanding when we acknowledge, Lord, I don't know. Help me. I have no strength. I'm weak. And what does the Bible say? His strength is made perfect in weakness, in our weakness. Praise the Lord. He is strong. Um, then look with me at this next part. I love this. Verse 5 or verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Now remember who Zerubbabel is. Zechariah is the, is the prophet. Joshua is the high priest. Zerubbabel is the, the, the governor, the leader of Israel at that time, appointed by God to rebuild the temple. All right? Now, um, and that's why that temple was often called Zerubbabel's temple. So, then, answered he, then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Not by might. How is this going to be accomplished? How are we going to finish this temple? How is it that, that 
Israel is going to represent God in the world again when they've just come out of captivity. They're a ragtag bunch of people because it's not based on what man can do. It's based on what God can do. What has God called you to do? What has God called Grace Baptist Church to do in Sydney, Ohio? What has God called us to do? You might be here this morning saying, man, I just come to church. I love the Lord. I'm trying to follow Him. Nobody really knows much about me spiritually. Good. Because they don't need to know about you. They need to know about Christ. I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to accomplish this. Man, let me just testify from me. I'm so messed up. I get in the way of ministry so much. I told somebody yesterday... The thing that makes me good at what I do is also the thing that messes me up in so many other areas of life. How many of you have ever found your strengths to be a weakness? Right? You know, some of you have the gift of mercy. It's hard for you to discipline. Some of you have that gift of a prophet. It's hard for you to show mercy. God needs all of us. And yet, none of us are able to do what God's asked us to do. We're weak. What do we need to know? It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by the Spirit of God. Can I ask you again? How many of you here are born again? Then you have the Spirit of God. If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You have God's Spirit in you if you're born again. And that means that you can accomplish what he's called you to do. Let's try to track this down in Scripture a little bit. Go to Second Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Now remember, Asa, Israel, they're surrounded by the Ethiopians. And look at what the Bible says. And eight, verse 11, Second uh, Chronicles 14, verse 11. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. What happened here? What happened? Asa came and said, God, we don't have any power. We don't have any strength. But you're with the few. You're with the many. Whatever it is that you choose to do, we rest in you. Whatever it is God's called you to do, are you resting in Him to do it? Or are you stressing, I can't do this myself? Rest in Him. Rest in Him. What a blessing. Look at second, or look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. Just go back a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Saul, children of Israel, are held up and they're worried about the Philistines. As happened often in the Old Testament. Jonathan, who was the friend of David, look at what the Bible says. 
verse 6, 1 Samuel 14, 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. What does he do? Jonathan, he sees the, the Saul with about 600 of his men around him. He has the son of Eli there with him as the priest and the ark of God, and yet they're cowering. And Jonathan goes and he says to his armor bearer, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to make ourselves known to the Philistines, just Jonathan and his armor bearer. And Jonathan, he says, here's what we're going to do. If they say, wait there, we're going to come to you, then we need to leave. If they say, come unto us, then that's a sign from God that He's going to deliver them to us. So they reveal themselves to the Philistines, and the Philistines say, look, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes. See, they're being mocked. Jerusalem, Israel, they have the power of God, and yet they're hiding in their holes, bringing reproach to God rather than glory. Well, they said, come on up here and we'll show you what's what. Well, Jonathan already knew. If they asked us up, God was going to give them the victory. So Jonathan and his armor bearer went up there, and in the space of half an acre, he killed 20 men by himself. Who was he by himself? No. Who did it? The Lord. And there was such a noise, it felt like an earthquake. And what... And the children of Israel, they looked around and Saul said, let's get a count. Let's get a count. Where is everybody? Jonathan's gone. Oh, let's go find Jonathan. They went there. The Philistines were killing each other. They're trying to get out of there so fast. What had happened? God said, look, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Do you ever feel like you're alone in a fight? Do you ever feel like you're alone in the world? You're not. I want to say something right here. What is Jonathan known about in the Bible? David's friend. He's David's friend. That's, uh, me, as I read this story, I had forgotten about it. But that'd be a pretty cool thing to be known about, isn't it, this story? But that's not what he's known for. He's known for being a friend. I wonder how many of you have a good godly friend. You ladies, you have a good godly friend that you can rely on. Your hearts are knit together. You men, I wonder how many of you men have a good, a good godly, manly friend. This is so important. We need help, folks. God has designed us to need fellowship. Are you a friend to someone else? Are you alone in this world? Is your closest friend a Christian? And I'm not saying if your friend is not a Christian that you should stop being his friend. What I'm saying is you need to find a godly man to be your friend. You ladies need to find a godly lady to come alongside you, to show you your weak areas, to strengthen you, to help you, to laugh, to have fun, to just be encouraged. I got a good friend. He's Dalton, right? He's nuts. He's a redneck. He's my. I was telling him a while back that uh, I'd like to, I could get into hunting. He said, the first thing you got to do is stop say hunting. <laughs> That's what friends do for you, right? I have a friend, Kenny Flickinger, my friend Flickinger. Um, I was in Bible college. I got there, and I came into the gym. And how many of you can tell that I'm not a tan man? Right? 
So when I first moved to Gary, Indiana, I didn't know I was the only white person in town. I'm out there playing basketball. They're calling me Bleach Boy. <laughs> they were calling. Um, so I came walking out on the gym floor in college, and I, that, young people, you won't understand this, but this is when the men wore the shorter shorts. And I had white shorts with white socks. I walked in. Kenny said, don't ever wear those shorts again. <laughs> you know, Kenny, Kenny taught me how to play basketball. Kenny was a great athlete. He taught me how to play basketball. Um, I taught Kenny how to ski. My friend, another friend, Jim Reed, texted me while I was in Colorado and asked me if I remembered the ski place. We took Kenny skiing up in Michigan, and he'd never been skiing before. So we took him down the bunny slopes twice and then took him on the hardest slope. <laughs> and when you came off, there was a 20 or 30-foot drop, and you'd just come flying off. You'd go down to the drop, and you'd, you know, you'd, you'd just, just start skiing. Well, what we did, Jim Reed and I, we went off and knew that Kenny was behind us, so he stopped and turned around. Kenny was laying with his feet dangling over this drop. I hate you guys! I hate you guys! Kenny fell. Jim was a, was a really good skier, skied in competition. And Kenny had fallen, and uh, Jim came sideways and took the top of a mogul off and just buried him in snow. And there's this lady coming on the ski lift. That was rude. You're rude. She's yelling at us down there. We're laughing our heads off. What is that? Friends. <laughs> How many of you are saying, man, I do not need you for a friend? <laughs> oh, one of my favorite things that Kenny Flickinger did, we had a friend. He pastors in Ohio now, this guy that, that he did this to. He's a pastor. But uh, he worked at... Uh, Long John Silver's cleaning fryers and stuff at night. And so he came in. He was sound asleep, this poor guy. He'd been working all night, going to school all during the day. He sound asleep, rooms blackened out. One of them got an air horn. <laughs> another got a pillow. And the other got a spotlight. And they called him Speedo. And they said, Speedo, look out, it's a train! And blew the horn. He sat up, the light was in his face. They're blowing the horn. He's screaming, going crazy. That's awesome. You know what that is? That's a friend. <laughs> Do you know what God has provided you? He's made available a man to be your friend, a lady to be your friend. Now, I understand what some of you are thinking. My wife's my best friend. Um, and that's true. My wife is my best friend. But I can be a certain way with Dalton that Laura's not interested in. <laughs> she said amen to that. The Bible specifically describes the friendship that David and Jonathan had as a very special and important thing, right? We need that in our lives. Don't be alone. Don't be alone. Some of you here in this room, you don't know anybody else in the room. That doesn't mean you don't have friends, but you need godly friends who can help you with the work. Isn't that right? The Bible talks about uh, a, a threefold cord being stronger than just one that's by itself. We need to unite as friends. You know, that's kind of what man camp is about. It's guys getting together and mocking each other. 
but it's also, it, it's, a, it's a real time of uniting and friendship. It's something that we all really need. But let's, let's go back to the text and let's finish up. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I had a friend, Joe McCluskey. I could tell you story after story about Joe. He was just insane. But uh, I'd be singing around the apartment or whatever. We were roommates. He'd just walk by and say, don't sing, Jim. Don't sing. And he meant it. (laughs) Friends, man. How many of you, just as I'm telling this story, you're thinking about something that you and a buddy did? It's just so cool to have that. Now, you as men, you as men, you know, I'm 50 years old. Some of you are older. Some of, the, some of them are younger. Who is your good Christian friend? Who's the guy that you're building those memories with? He'll come alongside you. Who's your friend? You ladies, who's your friend? There'll come a time when you feel alone. You're going to need that friend to come alongside you. Um, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren... How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him... Are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? And according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. If God's work is going to be done here, it's not because we're wise. If God's work is going to be done here, it's not because we're noble or we're mighty. If God's work is going to be done here, it's because the spirit of the Lord is doing the work. Boy, that just takes all of the pressure off of us. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Look at verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. That headstone of the temple is going to come in. The ground's going to be made level. The temple's going to be built. Who's going to remove the mountain? Who's going to remove the obstacles in the way to the Lord's work? The Lord is. It's not the power of Israel that's going to do it. It's the power of God. Who's going to accomplish the Lord's work in Sydney, Ohio? It's not Grace Baptist Church. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And He'll use us as we recognize our weakness and rely on His strength. Amen? What are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be the light of God in this place. Israel is going to be the light of the world again. Right now, God has chosen churches. Are you the light that you are supposed to be right now? I can't do it. I know. That's why you need the Spirit of God. Amen? Man, God's Word is so good. This passage of Scripture, it's like that bag of toys with the G1 Transformers if those things were worth anything. Jacob thinks I'm blaspheming right now. <laughs> um, the Word of God is just so full of truth. Israel's going to be the light of the world again. Right now, we are. 
Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's rely on Him. Let's do it through godly friendships like Jonathan. Let's do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's realize God's work's going to be accomplished. Let's just get on board with what He's doing. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, so much for Your Word. We need You desperately. We don't deserve anything that You give us.